yo, welcome to part two of my conversation with Mo DeKeel, answering one question for each Clipper player. In part one, we discussed Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Lou Williams. In part two, we will now get into Montrez Harrell and Marcus Moore Sr. To me, what, what concerns me if I'm the Clippers and, and just as someone who's you know followed this team all season, watched as much Clipper basketball as anybody that's not a, a video scout to, to bring this full circle. Um, the, Montrez Harrell is the, is the other guy where he and Lou are, are so married uh, in terms of their minutes together. Um, you know, it, they have this unique and incredible chemistry. Uh, you know, we, we saw what they did to the Warriors in, in the 2019 postseason where, you know, that simple, uh, you know, <laughs> high pick and roll with those two uh, just, you know, destroyed the Warriors for, for a couple games there and, and helped the Clippers win a couple games against them as an eight seed. Um, so we, we know that formula can work. Um, and, and of course, having guys like Kawhi and PG off the ball, like in, in theory, uh, the Clippers have even done that at times this season in, in you know, closing games with the Lutrez pick and roll and, and having Kawhi and PG as the ultimate decoys. But for me, it goes back to the defensive end. And that's where just looking at this for what it is, Montrez Harrell is the favorite to close at the five. And, you know, uh, it's it's not Avita Zubats and you know, they, they might go Jermichael Green. They might go a little Marcus Morris. They, they, they might downsize a little bit. But for as good as Trez is, you know, he, he's a very good, reliable offensive weapon. Um, you know, he, he's improved as a scorer every single season. Uh, his points have, have gone up all five seasons in the league. Field goal attempts, free throw attempts. Like, he he continues to get better offensively. And I, I think it's to the point where he doesn't even need Lou offensively to be effective. And defensively, he has some stuff you like. I, I think he he is athletic. He, he has good foot speed. He can switch on to, to wings, uh, not guards, but wings. Um, and he does rank second in the league in charges. He has really good instincts with that. But he's a very poor defensive rebounder. He's 71st in, in defensive rebounding percentage behind 50 centers and power forwards. That also includes, obviously, 20 wings and guards. Um, and you know, I, I think some of his, he is, there, there's some Hassan Whiteside there for, yeah. for me where he can block and contest shots and, you know, people that are, are pro Trez will, will point to, Hey, he had two blocks, but for me, it's more, how many times did he, you know, step up on a pick and roll and get blown by how many times was he the backline guy that was supposed to rotate and he didn't rotate. And, and then also on the glass, like how many times did he give a half-hearted box out? Like I, I still remember a game in New Orleans where Derek Favors put up a 2020 largely against Trez. You know, like Zoo, like he got a couple offensive rebounds against Zoo. Doc took him out, and then he just tore up Trez. And, and I think he finished like ten, you know some, somewhere in like eight ten eight to ten offensive rebounds. He, he put up his first 2020 of his career, and he just destroyed Trez inside. And I'm like, if Derek Favors is killing you inside. What is Nikola Jokic going to do? What what is Rudy Gobert going to do? What is Anthony Davis going to do in, in in a playoff series? So for me, I think everyone loves you know Trez is an energy guy. He, he's a fan favorite. He, he puts up eighteen a night. You know, there's a lot to like there. But if you are compounding some of his bad defense with Lou, now all of a sudden you're down to three plus defenders, and you know maybe. Kawhi, PG, and, and Pat are so good defensively that they can make up for those two. 
but I've also seen them not be able to make up for those two. And um, I do think some of, you know, going back to the Boston game and, and going back to the Laker game, there was a lot of drives that Trez did not rotate well. And, and there was a lot of LeBron and Jason Tatum going straight to the rim, getting layups, getting dunks, getting fouls. And that was in part Trez's poor backline rotation. So for me, I, I do... I don't know if if you have to necessarily bench Trez and Lou. I think that might be taking it too far and you're losing too much offensively. But I do have concerns with both of those guys closing games together. I think if I'm an if I'm um a, an opposing team, I'm gonna run a a Lou Trez pick and roll against them uh and kind of bring those two guys into the action and, and, or or try to make Trez the, the backline guy rotating because right. um he's six seven and you know he does have a long wingspan, but there are limitations as being a six foot seven center. So um, that was a long kind of way to get into this question. But how do you view Trez's uh, rim protection and defensive rebounding at the highest levels, at the conference finals, at the finals, and then kind of that in conjunction with Lou and some of the, the problems that that combination could present together defensively? Yeah, it's worrisome. Uh, I Let's start first just with his defense and his rim protection before we get to the rebounding. But, you know, the... The nothing kills me more than somebody missing the backline rotation because that just crushes you defensively in the sense of now the teams, now the guys who are in the pick and roll or who are on the ball that were trusting you, you know, know they can't trust you now because you constantly keep missing these rotations. Like that stuff kills defenses. That kill and, and when I mean it kills defenses, it kills the trust within defense. And that's what matters. And you know, like I said with when we we're talking about Lou. Teams can survive with one bad defender. It's very difficult to survive with two. And it's hard. It's a hard balance because of what they can bring offensively. But that's the concern for the Clippers that I think they have to be ready for. And I think this is one of those things, too, that Doc has to be quick to pull the, the you know, offense, defense, and 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 sub out Trez for, for one of their better defenders, whether it's Cousin Zoo or using Morris and going uh, small ball five or something like that. I think it's those are the things he has to look at and be on top of because you can't have that. And and for championship level games, that matters. And you touched on it in all the games where it was problems. And and it's an issue and it's something that's not going to go away because he's not just going to become a better defensive player. You know, and then when you look at his rebounding, you know, a ton of his rebounds, at least a third, come from offensive rebounds. Like, that's really where he's a beast on the glass. You know, the Clippers as a whole kind of do a, a, a gang rebounding thing. I think Trez, uh, Zoo, and Kawhi are all around the same in to- uh, rebounds per game, which is around seven-something, I think, a couple different uh, tenths of a points for each guy. Uh, but that's kind of how the team rebounds. It's a, it's a group effort thing, which is fine, but that means – you know, he's got to be on top of it. You know, like when you touched on him chasing blocks like Hassan Whiteside and missing opportunities to rebound, like that's a problem. And that's kind of the the enigma that they have to deal with. And for the Clippers, you know, in their in their wins, they're a good rebounding team. They average about 48, 49 rebounds a game. You know, in their losses, it's down to 44. Like that's a big Five rebounds is the difference in games. And that's how they've, you know, that's a stat when you look at it going like, man, we just got to rebound better. Like when they rebound well, they win games. When they don't, 
they lose. It's that simple for this team. And I think it's something that you have to monitor with Trez to make sure he's not going after uh, home runs. You know, the home run block, the big time play, the sports center highlight, you know, the sacrifice, you know, rebounding positioning. And, you know, that's how guys like Derek Favors and and Jokic will be able to jump in and get an offensive board and and put it back up. So I think those are things that are really going to have to be monitored because I think that's a big question. And that's something that I think Doc's going to have to really figure out how he wants to go about it. Are you still wearing polo blue from your high school girlfriend? Are you walking into Sephora to get cologne and being overwhelmed by all the choices? Or do you wear Old Spice and girls think you smell like their dads? Look, smelling good is important and Hawthorne smells really good. Getting Hawthorne cologne is so easy. Take a quick two minute quiz and Hawthorne tells you the two colognes that are best for you. One for work and one for play. And it's totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. That's hawthorne.co and use my promo code ATHLETIC to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. We have time for one more player I will give you the the choice here. We can talk about Marcus Morris and his rhythm and role in the offense. We could talk about Cousin Zoo and just his role, period. <laughs> um, and or we could talk about Landry Shamit and how much uh, he'll play because he, he's been playing. He's kind of been the guy squeezed out of the rotation uh, since the addition of Reggie Jackson. Let's go, Morris. We've done a lot over the we years have, of Cousin uh, Zoo. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, let, let's do Morris. So. Marcus Morris, um, this was the Clippers' big trade deadline addition. Uh, he was the leading scorer, primary option in New York, averaging just over 19 a game. You know, now coming to LA as the fourth or fifth option, depending on the lineup. Um, and, and the biggest decrease for him, aside from the obvious, just, you know, he, he's going to shoot the ball less, he, he's going to score less uh, on this team. He's really dropped off as a three point shooter. Uh, he, he's shooting just 28.3% on threes in LA, which is over a 15% decrease from his 43.9% with the Knicks um, and and posting an atrocious 48% uh, true shooting percentage. So his three-point rate has crept up. He he is shooting more threes um, in terms of his shot profile, uh, but he's getting to the free throw line uh, less. He's finishing worse in the paint. And frankly, he's been a, a disappointment offensively. Like the Clippers... You know, didn't get him necessarily just for his offense, but they kind of viewed him as like, okay, now we can, you know, you put up a lineup of Trez and him and Kawhi and PG and and then Lure Pat, and you're just like, you can't really play off any of these guys. But you know, Morris has not shot the ball well. Um, defensively, he's actually fit in very well. He, you know, the, the fit has been seamless. I think he's he hasn't been as good as Mo Harkless, but he's been close. Um, he, okay, it's hard to replace him. Mo. Always hard to replace him. It's hard to replace him, (laughs) but he's given them another bigger defender. Uh, You know, he's a guy who can match up with AD or LeBron in in theory. Uh, And my thing with with Marcus is, to me, some guys are more effective when they touch the ball offensively. Like they need to be involved in the offense, and they can't just be a spot up shooter or a guy who touches the ball every five possessions. And Marcus, 
fits that mold to me. Like just kind of looking at the way he's fallen off offensively so drastically um, and really across the board. Uh, so Doc spoke with us back in April and he said he was actually optimistic for, for Marcus and that they had had a really good conversation before the final game, um, before the hiatus. And he felt Marcus's last game, which was against the Warriors, even though he only scored nine points, that just the, the shots he was getting, his involvement in the offense was much better. Um, so I think the Clippers need to find some type of balance between not compromising their offense and taking shots away from better players uh, while also feeding Morris, involving him in the offense more. Um, but h- how do you view his role in this offense? And, and how do you, um, you know, if, if you put your coaching hat on, like how do you involve a guy like this? Because to me, it does seem like he's just completely out of rhythm with these guys hasn't been able to play with them much and he does need the ball to an extent and is just not getting it. Yeah. So the it, it, Morris is a complicated situation in the sense of like, I think a lot of the stuff that he did in New York was because the Knicks suck. Like, let's just be honest. And they, <laughs> it, it's just, it's not, you know, and, and somebody has to put up numbers on the team. Right. And he was the guy that was getting a lot of shots, hitting a lot of shots and things like that. And then coming into a situation where he's got to be, you know, he's not the first option. He's not the second option. He's not the third. I mean, he's not the fourth option. I mean, like, you know, when you start looking down the list of stuff, like he's the guy that they got to be able to kick out and he's got to be happy with the Jamichael Green-like role, you know, and that's tough for him because that's not who he is. And there are times where it's funny. I just happened to rewatch the the Sixers-Clippers game in Philadelphia when the Sixers won. And there were times where it was like him trying to go one-on-one. I'm like, every time he did it, make or miss. That's not what the Clippers want offensively. Cause that's not a guy. That's not what you want from him. You know, the ultimate thing is you want him to be able to spread the floor, hit shots and, you know, in, in opportune times, you know, make a cut and open things up for those guys, you know, for, for Paul George, for Kawhi Leonard, it's a difficult balance and what Doc has to figure out with this, but it's not an easy one because this is part of the reason why, like everybody was really high on the trade and you're right. Defensively, it's been good. You know, I wasn't all that high offensively just because I didn't think he really fit what they needed in the sense of another guy that could spread the floor. I mean, look, Jermichael Green's shooting way better than him right now. You know, at 36%, I think is his number from three and things like that. And, you know, it's they have options if they want to spread the floor. And I thought maybe they could have found somebody else, you know, to to help them out in different areas. I didn't think like it was a, a dying need because as a uh, opposing coach, I'm going to listen. I'm going to live and die by, you know, Marcus Morris is shooting threes. I'm going to try to pack the paint and leave him. And, and if listen, man, if he's going to hit six threes a game against us in a playoff series, man, I'm just going to shake his hand and and get on the plane and go home. You know, it's, it's nothing more. Well, I guess you're not shaking hands anymore. I'd probably just wave at him being like, hey, good job. Maybe tip the hat. That might be what I do. Um, but, you know, you have in that scenario, it's not like it's not a guy that I fear. And it's, it it would be problematic if they begin trying to take away shots from other guys. And when I mean other guys, it's not Kawhi and PG they're going to take shots away from. It's Lou. It's. Uh, Trez, it's Shamit who, you know, we we're, we're skipping on that question, but needs touches to get a rhythm whenever, whenever he comes back. And I think those things matter. And I think that's an important issue there. And I just don't know 
if he's going to abide by the role of I'm just a spot up guy now. There's going to be flashes and there's going to be possessions where he's like, nope, I'm going to take this one on my own. And I'm like, you can't do that when you have Kawhi and or PG on the court. Like you're not better than those guys to go one on one and your one on one game isn't that good. It just happened that you did it well with the Knicks. So I think for him and and for the Clippers offensively, I think he's got to start embracing more of the the spot up role. And that might not be good for him. That might not be a shot he can hit consistently. We're seeing, you know, how bad he shot it from three this season as a Clipper. And, you know, maybe that's that's a problem. And maybe that was the they weren't thinking that well into it when they when they traded for him. It's not like they gave up a whole ton. So it's not uh, a killer trade in that sense. But, you know, maybe that didn't enter into the calculus that he might not be a spot up guy. And that's kind of what you want from from him or anybody playing that position. Well, and. So pre All-Star break, which was predominantly his time with the Knicks, he had three games with the Clippers over that span. He was shooting 46% on catch and shoot threes. And post All-Star break, his final nine games with the Clippers, shooting 28.6% on threes. So that's an 18% difference. And I, I think it's somewhere in the middle, you know, as things often are, You're where right. um, you know, he's probably around a 36, 37% three-point shooter. Uh, you know, slightly above league average, but not, you know, good or elite necessarily. Um, and, and I think, I think given the options the Clippers were looking at, you know, Marcus Morris, uh, Jay Crowder, Andre Gudala, he's the best shooter of that group. Um, so I, I think he he probably was the best shooter they could have gotten. Uh, but it, you know, to to expect him to replicate his mid forties percentages from New York. Uh, right. I think is a, a little bit of um, pie in the sky thinking, uh, but Mo, Mo we're going to get Mo, out of here. Real oh, no, quick. Go, go ahead. But this is also where the hiatus really hurts the Clippers. It's guys like him that need, need the reps with the other guys to figure out mm-hmm. where he fits in the offense. And this is a big part of the hiatus that that's going to affect the Clippers in that sense. Not so much Kawhi and PG and all that stuff. It's, it's the, the guys like him, Reggie Jackson, um, I mean, Joe Kimno is probably not going to play that much, but even him, you know, like just getting reps with those guys and fitting, understanding their roles. Now they got to kind of super speed into that. And that's going to be a challenge. I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think hopefully for, uh, for the Clippers, they can use some of this training camp time and, you know, they, they had the facility shut down with, with, with the positive COVID tests. Uh, but once they get to Orlando and, you know, some guys will test positive, I'm sure, and, and have to quarantine. But with, with the guys that they do have and, and once those guys uh, are, are cleared and, and can resume play, um, I think them having some type of training camp lead into resuming play and then having the eight regular season games, which for the most part are almost going to be like preseason exhibition type games. Um, you know, they, they will take them seriously, but it, it's not going to be at obviously the playoff level and it is still going to be them kind of figuring out you know them getting their legs under them and, and um, just re-establishing their chemistry and, and cohesion and, and different stuff so uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out uh, you know who knows if we'll even get past like the second round at this point like the you know this bubble can burst at any moment and uh, you know and I know for the Clippers they, they want to try to win a title but um, you know, it's just interesting. We're talking about all these hypotheticals that might not even happen. Uh, but Mo, I, I appreciate your time. Uh, where can people find you? 
uh, on social media? And then where can they check out your work? Well, as I'm sure Clip City's favorite guest, you guys know where to find me, but you can you can catch me on uh, Twitter, Modakil, M-O-D-A-K-H-I-L underscore NBA, uh, same handle for Instagram, and just find my writings on Bleacher Report and other various athletic podcasts. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Yovan Buha, J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. You can find my work at The Athletic. If you go to theathletic.com slash Clip City, you can subscribe to this podcast, help me out, uh, help out The Athletic, and that would be much appreciated. Uh, I will be back as always next week. Uh, hopefully, we have some some news to talk about, some some developments uh, I doubt it. Uh, I think it's going to be kind of dry here for a couple of weeks, but um, I'll talk to you guys soon.